Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash covers your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized, soft and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. For the third year, Olay Body is a proud sponsor of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride and supporter of the LGBTQ plus community. So this pride glow with confidence, not just all month, but all year long. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. Money. Money. <laughs> this is well, welcome to It Could Happen Here. It, it is me, Christopher Wong. Uh, this is a this is a podcast about things falling apart, things putting back together again. And also today it's just about money. Um and also, well, okay, it, it is not just about money. It is about money and it is about seemingly seemingly esoteric dis- uh, arguments about the nature of money that actually turn out to be extremely important for any post-revolutionary society or even just this society. So yeah. And, and join, joining me to talk about this are Kyle Flannery and Steve Mann, who are the co-editors of Strange Matters magazine, which is a new workers co-op that's in the middle of a fundraising drive. So yeah, uh, go, go support the magazine and uh, Steve and Kyle, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Chris. Thanks for having us. The, the basis of this interview is a piece that is coming out. Actually, when is it coming out? That, that's a good question that I should probably have asked oh, before this. Um, let's see. It will come out later this month. Okay. Yeah. It, that'll be out later this month. That is about the history of money and what money is. So I guess we can, we can start there, which is, yeah. Can, can you walk us through a bit about 
the 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 debate over what money is and how sort of various people have gotten parts of it wrong and parts of it right. Sure. I got into this debate as a economics graduate student in 2011 and a book that really kind of shaped my initial understanding was David Graeber's Debt the First 5000 Years. And Yeah, it's excellent. Um it's it's very long and it's a bit scattered, but I I love what he put together with it. And um, so he kind of introduced me to ideas of from a school of economic thought called chartalism. And chartalism is kind of the theoretical forebear of MMT. And MMT is, which is modern monetary theory, is kind of in the news now as a theory which is saying like, okay, if you if you're a government that issues its own money, its own currency that is not really backed by anything, it's not backed by any other currency or any other commodity, then you don't really face a financial limit as far as how much you can produce. You, you're you the sole source of that money and you can spend it into existence, spend by buying things, the money into existence. And people will accept it to the extent that they either need it or they want it. And that's one theory that's kind of in the air now. But chartalism, over a hundred years before this, is putting out very similar ideas around money that is um, created by states in order to marshal physical resources. They call it biophysical resources, which is just a fancy word of meaning all of the material, people, techniques, um, physical processes that are required to create economic activity. So to the extent that people either need or want your money, um, you can use it as a social technology sort of to marshal those resources into action. And uh, you being a state, chartalism says. So from chartalism, we got MMT. But David Graver's book is about a lot more than just chartalism and MMT. So it's about the origins of money. And origins of money, uh, it turns out, are at least 5,000 years ago, as the title says. Um, There are examples of um, early accounting systems that are where people are just, um, rather than there being a circulating medium of exchange type money, like a a coin or something, or a dollar bill, there were just records of what people own and what people owe, and their debts and credits against each other. And it was... In early Mesopotamia, there so we have these early accounting systems that yield more advanced credit systems over time that are ruled by temples, um, which are sort of proto-states in a way, in terms of like they administer the flow of goods and services through their territory and between their territory and another temple's territory using their domestic money, but also international money. International money was facilitated through trade networks. Trade networks used things like um, they needed to convert between a domestic money and international money. And Graeber goes through these like wonderful examples of um, silver and other metals being used as like international means of payment. Um, that's sort of our term in our piece, basically, uh, which is covering um, foreign exchange. But... Um, he says, like, in order to get from the domestic money into the international money, 
um, you needed to have these linkages of experts in the temple and the trade networks to get together and make um, credit instruments, which knit them together into this trade network. And from there, we go into, um, I don't want to spend too much time on the history, but we go from there to situations m thousands of years later, we get coins. Coins are being minted by starting in the roughly 600 BC, I want to say, Carl. Yeah. That, that sounds about um, right. It's going to be early first, Iron Age. Right. So um, the first, I someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've been doing some homework on this because I've been on a few podcasts and there's like, like numismatists in the comments and whatnot. <laughs> uh, but um, the first... Okay, the first mixed gold and silver coin was sometime in the 7th century BCE. And the first gold coin was not long after. I think it was like they were both Lydian kings. Like one after another. Anyway, <laughs> just wanted to hit that because someone said I got it wrong earlier. But um, <laughs> uh, these coins were kind of the first uh, widely used sort of retail means of settling debts like at the point of sale between people. So it wasn't just an accounting system. It wasn't an elaborate credit system with no circulating means of payment. It was a circulating money now. And it's getting around um, based on military conquest. Military conquest in the Axial Age spread the use of coins much wider than the domestic spheres in which they were first minted. Yeah, and I, th I think we should... like. Just, just to talk about about like roughly when this is like a, a you know like if if you go back I mean this this is slightly later but one of the huge sort of like like the the, the periods where like the entire Mediterranean is using coinage right is you know you're, this this is this is when you're dealing with you're sort of like classical Greek like mm -hmm. you have your your Greeks and your Persians and you have your sort of like Athens and Sparta um, and th those guys are very much uh, they're engaged in this thing that uh, Graeber calls the the military industrial coinage slavery complex. The military industrial coinage complex. Yeah, and I yeah, have, yeah and I think he, he adds slavery on the end because it's yeah, it's it's this giant sort of like it's this giant warfare system, right? Like these are like the, like Athens is an empire, right? They run around, they steal, they seize mm -hmm. people's gold, like this gold and silver mines, and they like have slaves that work it, and it's this whole sort of yep, like yep. like this, yeah. You you get the system of empire that is like what the actual age is sort of defined by. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, whereas previously, like, so precious metals did circulate, but they weren't in coin form and they were more as like a bulk means of payment stored from one temple to the next, almost as if they were central banks, but central banks don't exist yet. And axial, the axial age coinage system gave rise to the more, much more sophisticated medieval coinage system and I'm going breezily through this because um, there's a lot there. But yeah. um, <laughs> several thousand years of there's history. There's several thousand years that are passing in a few minutes here. So um, bear with me. But um, there are, there now in the medieval and Renaissance times, not only do we have the coinage circulating, but we also have credit instruments um, which uh, are being submitted, transferred, transmitted rather, between banks. Uh, between banks in different countries and territories that are saying, hey, you don't even need to, based on what is written on this piece of paper, 
I already know you're good for it. I will dispense with the coins uh, that I have in my bank because this paper signifies that they you're good for it, basically. And so that greatly speeds things up in terms of um, settling commerce debts and, and uh, settling bills between different um, states. So, but going through all this history, the point of it is that at every at every sort of step of the way, you see, okay, there's a lot of different types of money that are circulating, and they're being exchanged against one another. And there also seems to be a domestic sphere and an international sphere. The international means of payment, which is a analytic category that um, I and my co-author John Michael Clone thought up, is kind of sort of sets the tune as far as what. Uh, what kind of hierarchy of money, if you will, develops in each of these ages. So like in the prior to the Axel age, there were bulk, there was bulk settlement from one temple to the next in terms of silver, although it wasn't coins, it was just um, like bullion, basically. Um, and then and then later it was coins, and then later it was bills of exchange, and then, uh, after a while, there emerged gold standards um, that existed between nations, and they had central banks eventually, which um, hoarded gold, not because, not just because they were fetishizing it or something, something basic like that, but rather because it was the established international means of payment. And if you either you need that, or you need something that is easily transferable into that in order to conduct your trade, especially if you're a developing country or um, a otherwise like an upstart state of some type. Now, today we're in a dollarized world. The dollar is the international means of payment. From 1971 onwards, the MMT story, yeah, I mean, that's basically true. The MM, the for the US, government as the issuer, the sole issuer of the dollar, which is a fiat currency, which is not backed by anything. Um, yeah, you can make as much of that as you want. You could make, you can create and spend into existence as many dollars as the US government wants, and then delete it from existence by taxing it away. And that makes perfect sense. Totally acknowledge that. But there's some problems nonetheless, in terms of how they apply that into a more general theory because it's like can you okay you can make as much of your own money what about other types of money from the perspective of a u.s statecraft interested individual like why would you care about other people's money basically if you're just the full, sole source of the U, of the u.s dollar which happens to also be the international means of payment of course you wouldn't However, if you're like, say, Tunisia, the Tunisian dollar is accepted almost nowhere as payment. Yeah, and, and one one of the big things, I mean, it, it's not the sole driver, and people sort of overemphasize this. I'm going to caveat this immediately because people will yell at me. But like one, one of the very important things about the dollar is that the dollar is what you can buy oil in. And this is extremely important because if you are a society in the world, you need oil. Um. This That's is true. basically universally true, and and this you know and the, but and the fact that you need to buy oil and and the fact that you need to buy a lot of other things that are manufactured in the U.S. means you have to find some way to get U.S. dollars, 
Now, yeah. again, the U.S. doesn't. This doesn't matter for the U.S. because we can just make them. Well, okay. A a it, 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 this is another thing. This stuff gets very weird and convoluted very quickly. Um, but the 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 essentially the U.S. can just sort of make this money. Technically speaking, it's the Federal Reserve, and there's all of this just incredibly convoluted finance stuff. But yeah, the U.S. like doesn't. The U.S. does not have to worry about obtaining U.S. dollars. It could just do it. But you know, yeah. If if you're, yeah, if if you're, if you're, I don't know, if you're Tunisia, if you're Denmark's an example. I like. I know, yeah, Denmark. Yeah, like you, you, mm-hmm. you need to find a way to get U.S. dollars because you need to have stuff where you need to use U.S. dollars to buy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so in our international context, this is after all of the history I just went through since about 1971 or so when we went off the gold standard. Um, we have a system of central banks dominated by the dollar. And the dollar represents about 60% of settlement of all trade. And the next five or so currencies are, plus the U.S., account for like 80 to 85% of all trade. So there's really just a few currencies which dominate everything, with the U.S. being outsized among them. And these... When you look at the historical record, this is like very similar to other forms of international means of payment, where it's like, okay, I either need to have the one that's at the top, or failing that, one of the other sort of reserve currencies, even though that 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 terminology didn't really exist prior to about say eighty years ago. Um, but yeah, so like if you don't, if it's not gold, then okay, it's the U.S. dollar. So we need dollars, or we, we either need to be printing dollars because we're the U.S., or if we're not them, then we need to get into either U.S. dollar or the yen or the euro or one of the major trading currencies. And um, like China, China does a lot of trade with the U.S. and they they sell things to us. We give them dollars. They're rational. They put their dollars into treasuries to gain a little bit of a return instead of just holding the dollars themselves for no return. Should we explain, I guess, what a treasury is? Because, yeah, sorry. Uh, treasury bill is if you receive dollars, you can use them to purchase what's called a treasury note or a treasury bill. And, and sometimes you receive... called T notes too. So if you ever hear someone yeah. talk about T notes, that that's what this is. Yeah, so it's a way to learn. It's like moving from your checking to your savings account, essentially. So if you have just dollars in a bank, it doesn't earn hardly anything. If you're in a saving, if you go into the savings account, which is basically the treasury, the treasury bills you'll earn a little more and you'll earn dollars. You won't earn renminbi from them. You'll earn more dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So and dollars like, are the international means sorry. of payment. So that's good. Yeah. So it's so like, you, you basically like there's the U S government puts out a bond and like you buy it. And then it, when, you know, when, whenever it like expires, there's, there's like a 10 year T note that people talk about. That's like in right, 10 so years you buy it and yeah, it, it'll give, it'll give you like a certain amount of dollars like later on that is more than what you paid for it. Mm-hmm, exactly. So you'll earn a little bit of interest over time, yeah. and then you may earn like a little lump sum when it matures in in the future. So China has tons of dollars. It's part of a huge strategy that they have in order to manage their foreign their foreign currency reserves, or what's called forex. So forex is the that's a term we're going to use a lot. Um, that just is the foreign currency reserves you have on hand in order to pay for things that are only available for sale in currencies that you can't make yourself.
Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ plus community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride! The best things in life, they come in twos. Two scoops of ice cream, two tacos. And now for a limited time, get our best deal of the year. Buy any phone when you switch to Consumer Cellular and get two months of service free. That's right, the same fast, reliable nationwide coverage as Big Wireless, now with two months free. Proof the best things in life really do come in twos. Visit ConsumerCellular.com or call 1-888-FREEDOM. Second and third month of monthly base service fee waived for new customers with the purchase of a phone and activation by July 31st, 2024. Taxes, fees, and third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. The following is a high-five moment from HighFiveCasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won! Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing High Five Casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! <laughs> I won again! I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your High Five moment today? Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Okay, so you know you have this question of like, why do we care about this, right? Like, why do we people who want to make the world better care about this? And the answer is, okay, take 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 your hypothetical scenario. Uh, your 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 hypothetical scenario is the scenario in which like a a a a bunch of workers in alliance with like tribal confederations have taken Vancouver Island, right? And they've set up a new they've they've set up a new government. They have worked out sovereignty arrangements. Things have happened. You now have a new you you have you have a new sort of entity that is, that is in Vancouver Island. Um, you know, so, so immediately you have, you have both, you have both 
uh, resources and you have problems, right? You have a certain amount of resources that are on Vancouver Island, right? You have, you know, you have like, you, you have literally like what, what like, you have the things that are on the island, right? You have cars, you have like probably some yachts you've managed to like steal. You have, you know, you have, you have shops, you have uh, production facilities, you have a, re- a, a extremely large number of very good Chinese restaurants. Uh, <laughs> you have yeah. uh, trees, yeah. got a lot of trees. Yeah, there. you've got major, trees. Major asset. Yeah, you know, Chinese let, restaurants. I mean, also it's true. Like I, yeah, my 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 family spent a lot of time, like specifically going going to Vancouver Island just to eat Chinese food. Uh, yeah, you know, and say say like let, let, let's say you've taken Vancouver Island and you you expand out and you now have like a swath of Canada, right? That that is that is that is now sort of been liberated and you know you have you have you have a lot of resources. You have sort of timber. You have. I don't know. Maybe you have coal. Maybe you have other stuff. You have you have a, and you also have a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, I was about to say, yeah, yeah. You got whatever yeah, labor you can marshal. Yeah, you have a lot of labor. And, you know, and those people have a lot of skills. They have a lot of dedication. They have, like, you know, they, 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 have, they, have, they have a belief that you can make the world a better place. And I think this is where, you know, the, the, this, is, this is the arena in which MMT can sort of explain what you're doing next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. you have this, um, you have a territory that has undergone revolutionary change. And you have biophysical resources that are in it and biophysical resources that could be in it. And you have, and you also have the social technology of money. Some of the money you can just make yourself other monies. You cannot, um, MMT in the, is applicable in the sense that it says in this scenario, I think the most, the way MMT is most applicable is to say everyone can be employed who wants to be employed. Yeah, there's you a, know, there, yeah. one of their principal ideas is a job guarantee, a federal job guarantee, and it could be applied just as easily conceptually in this situation. It says um, there's nothing preventing a revolutionary government of some type, um, not necessarily a state, but any any non-state type of um, administration from setting up something sort of like a central bank to make its own money to marshal domestic resources, domestic in terms of within its own territory, and to get everyone everyone who wants to be employed to be employed and to be paid for their work. Like, not yeah. to be too vulgar, but like why, why this is stuff is important, this monetary theory and this history is like, people want to be paid for their work. They're yeah, not going and, and, to go and barter things. They want to get paid. Yeah, and I, and I think this is something that, like you know, if 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 you look at sort of like the the thing that gets held up was like the the, the classic example of an anarchist revolution, right? Is is what happens in Spain, nineteen thirty six, and if 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 you look at what they do, right? Like very, very, almost immediately after the revolution, what happens is you have basically like a union of all of the bank workers, and those guys take over all the banks. Um, and you you have you have the individual work, like workers and different unions start seizing they start seizing the factories they start seizing like the trains, and once they've done that they start just pooling all of their resources into you know like in, into like they they have they they now have this like they have they have the banking union the banking union is is the the sort of central body that has resources that can distribute it and you know what 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 MMT is essentially saying is like yeah so. In, as as long as what you're moving around is the resources that you have in your territory, like you can just create money in order to do that, and you can sort of you know and and you can use this to get people to do certain things and like you know the the the, the Catalonians like 
they, 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 they equalize everyone's wages, for example. I mean, it would be better if we equalize everyone's wages. I, I do agree with that. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, yeah. they, 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 they do have a lot of other stuff that's like, okay, so like they, they get rid of a lot of jobs that are like sort of managerial stuff or like just bullshit jobs. They just kind of eliminate and yeah, and you know, and this, this frees up people to like do stuff that actually matters and is real instead of sort of this like this sort of bureaucratic hierarchy that's above them. Yeah. And yeah, but and I think the other thing they do that's that's very important for our sort of scenario and for us talking about money is that like they they immediately start like they start seizing gold and they start seizing uh you know like they start seizing foreign currency. And yeah, and I think that this this is where we can get into where where I guess MMT doesn't work because MMT like <laughs> It's it's it it doesn't it doesn't really think much about the fact that like okay you you have Vancouver Island you have a part of like Canada right there is a lot of resources that you don't have absolutely yeah that's 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 going to be a, a lot of why foreign exchange matters so much as that uh, you know you inevitably you think. What if we just made an autarkic society? That's uh, sorry if that's a little. I probably should have jumped the gun a little bit there. What if we just made everything ourselves? What if we made a society that was fully economically independent? Uh, um, that's what autarky tends to be used to mean. And the answer to that is because that sucks. Yes. Uh, like, that's, <laughs> that's the problem well. with it. Is that it, it? It sucks. Like you, you don't want to be trying to manage an autarkic society on multiple grounds. Uh, not least of which is that I mean we we we've, we've seen societies try to do it and uh you know we me me and Steve could go for hours and hours and hours talking about historical precedents of previous economic systems many of which did try to be autarkic because that was something that monarchies liked a lot was the idea that their their kingdom could be fully independent because the thing is is that when you're economically independent that means that uh you've got a certain amount of security of international security. Uh, and there's kind of a trade-off where the more stuff that you're reliant on importing, the more vulnerable you are to the people you're importing and screwing you. But it's just so massively difficult to be a good producer of every possible good. Yeah, and, and this and this is this is true even if you have an enormous amount of resources. Like I yeah. think you know, we we can talk about one case study of this, which is socialist period China. And mm -hmm. you know, socialist period China they 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 have they they they're they're getting resources and especially in the early periods they're getting some resources from like Hong Kong they're getting some stuff from the Soviets but you know they 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 get into like Mao famously does not like markets um this is a, this is a thing that is known about Mao and so Mao is like okay we're like no we're gonna shut off the sort of like market system that we that we've been running sort of through Hong Kong and then you know China had been getting technology transfers and aid from. USSR, but you know the USSR and China got into a bunch of political fights, and the USSR like pulls out all of its advisors, and you know China China has an enormous amount of resources, right? They they have a large population, they have they have just an enormous geographic mass, and so they they basically try to you know build an autarkic society, and they try to sort of just okay, well we'll just we'll just marshal our resources, and we'll just sort of like we'll we'll plan a way out of it, and they run into this problem, which is that there is actually things that they need from other countries, which is technology. And they they hit this thing I've talked about before, which is uh, like they they basically hit this bot this production bottleneck where it's like well okay so in order to produce more industrial goods they need more food, but the problem is in order to produce more food to support a larger urban population, 
uh, you need more industrial goods, right? You need your like fertilizers, you need your tractors, you need stuff like that. And, you know, and once they're cut off from sort of the rest of the world from through Hong Kong and from the USSR, they don't have a way to, they, they, you know, they're, 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 sort of, they're sort of scrambling to figure out how we do this. And their solution is the Great Leap Forward, which is essentially we're, 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 we're going to just bust through this whole thing and we're going to do it by forcing everyone to work for like an absolutely enormous like increase in hours, right? Like we're, we're going we're gonna to have peasants working in the fields literally until they collapse from exhaustion. And it just doesn't work. It is a it is a epochal failure. There are millions of people die from famines, and you know, and and the sort of the response to this is that, like, is that China eventually ends up like winds up opening its economy again. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah, and like you know, and this is the thing. Like, if if China, which has like just just an astounding breadth of natural resources, can't pull this off, like it's probably just not a good idea because like, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we even have like a, a very, you know, a very contemporary example that, uh, you know, makes that will make certainly makes my blood boil. And I'm sure it will make some of the listeners blood boil the, you know, vaccines, uh, you know, the the realistically, you know, the the coronavirus is fun is a more or less is an incredible threat to basically every state on the planet at this point. And the. Re- really chemical and biomedical research is done in just a handful of places on the planet. Uh, and there have been attempts to create vaccines outside of those places, and they have been somewhat successful, but it has been difficult. And most places are just not in a position to create a, to develop their own competing technology. Uh, and even China struggled with creating their own competing vaccination technology. And I'm not at all a bio- biology expert, but I understand it's a not quite as efficient vaccine, the Sinovac. But at the end of the day, this is like South Africa is not developing their own independent vaccine. That's a quite sophisticated economy. Yep. All of all the various South American countries could have pulled their resources together in theory. But it's so hard to turn a dime and develop from scratch a primary research industry uh it's so difficult and it's so not worth it it's you know if you have trade relations with a country that has technology developments in a field that you really care about it's just not really worth it like we don't the united states doesn't really compete with several forms of japanese technology because it's just not worth the bother uh just let korea and Japan handle that for us and we buy it uh, and they accept our, our Forex, they accept our dollars, but you know, let's say you're the Philippines, you know, how are you going to get those? And uh, this is, this is now international trade and international politics. And uh, if we're creating our now independent Vancouver Island, we have now entered into this territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have now entered into uh, international politics and international uh, trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and this this is an arena that's fraught in a lot of ways because it's it's you know as we've sort of been talking about right it's it's not just that you need it's not just that you need forex or so like for example like you know if, if we, you 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 have you have your sort of like you know you 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 have your new society in like Vancouver right yeah Vancouver Island uh you know you need the thing you need mostly is dollars mm-hmm. and this is this is a real problem because. It, this requires you to have something that you can turn into dollars and you know, okay. So you're, you're going to have some amount of dollars that are just there. 
right? From from when you see society, there's there's assets you can sort of just sell off that like, okay, like do we really need this yacht? Like, okay, we can, we can we can sell this for some amount of dollars. But th- this becomes a a a real economic problem because you you need to produce something that you can exchange for dollars and you know there's there's a pretty good chance that like whatever sort of new currency whatever new sort of like mmt currency that's like oh it's it's controlled it be, because we're producing it it moves our resources around we can make as much of it as we want like mm-hmm. yeah you have to actually be able to convert that into dollars and you know why why does the U why is the u.s going to want your currency yeah it's a bit dialectical because you have to okay you have your mmt currency which domestically is accepted because of tax receivability or something uh, or, or um, national fervor, if you will, to um, <clears throat> create a new uh, democratic confederalist society. Um, and that's accepted there, but yeah, you need us dollars. So like you, you need us dollars, but why do you need them? Partly because like you eventually want to not need them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so you have what you can, you have assets right now that you can just sell. So that's one way, but long term, you can't do that. So you need to have cash flow over the long haul that allows you to buy what are called capital goods, which are is a fancy term for machines that make machines or machines that make some sort of like in product, which is a physical thing. It's not like a service or something. And um you want to classic like really classic economic development advice that is actually pretty good is you want to move up what's called a value chain and eventually be not producing um just like a stable crop or something but doing really innovative advanced technology things later on so you like here's where i am here's what i have here's what i could have though how do i get there um, part of part of the formula to get there is yes, acquiring forex, but it's other things like saying, how do I cultivate political alliances that will uh, yield trade partners, such that I have a stable flow of forex, and uh, maybe even technology transfers, you know, or something down the line, which could be a game changer. Um, you need to have an education system, like if you're a fan of the economist Torsten Veblen. He thought, like in his mind, he thought the economic development was ultimately from the human intellect, and like everything was downstream of that. So, like, you need to have money to. Um, you can use your MMT money to create a basic education system, and you can augment it with buying, importing things that you can't yet make, and uh, using it to create like a university or something, which can do R and D work. Um, you have to. You have to find tools to get enough of the money that you can't just infinitely produce forex in order to augment what your society can produce beyond what it initially could, and uh, show essentially that you okay I can make a better mousetrap. Like I, I don't need to, I don't need donations from well-meaning imperial powers or something. We're building what we need in order to move up the value chain and then build out our productive capacity in such a way that um, it doesn't leave anyone behind. Everyone is everyone's employed because we're doing the classic MMT stuff on the home front, such as a job guarantee, but we're also doing the international economic development stuff of 
assiduously monitoring our foreign, foreign currency reserves and then using them to import things that we cannot yet make, but can make things internally and then have a, a, um, a snowballing effect as far as being able to sell even higher value things, which um, to our trade partners who are hopefully share our values of like democratic confederalism or whatever you, whatever your chosen guidelines are. Yeah. And, and th- this is something that like, this is something that that becomes very difficult in like the current market and, you know this this is to some extent like why the cold war went the way it did right which is that you know once once you have the sino-soviet split once you have like you know, I mean you have chinese and russian troops killing each other on the border um china it, it like enters a situation where it's like well okay so we still want to do economic developments but we've lost the soviet union as as a technology as a way to get technology transfers and their solution to that was to ally with the us and this is like it, it. It works out for the Chinese economy. It is an apocalyptic disaster for like literally everyone else on Earth <laughs> because like it means that capitalism is the thing that wins the Cold War, and and this means that like you know I mean like if if you look if you look at how you know like the 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 the, the things that China are doing in order to be able to get technology transfers for the U.S. It's like like there's so there there are joint like Chinese CIA like operations inside of china that are like monitoring soviet missile sites so there's just like cia outposts just like in china that are just you know doing spying like for for the u.s government there's like they invade vietnam which is a <laughs> enormous and, and, you know and it's not just that they invade vietnam it's like they invade vietnam and then they fight this like there's really you know the, the immediate war doesn't last that long but they fight this like horrible border war that goes on for like a decade that kills enormous numbers of people and, you know, and, and the end result of this is like, yeah, like, you know, trying to get the technology transfers and they developed their economy, but uh, everyone else on earth. Yeah. <laughs> the cost is like ev- everyone who's ever tried to be a labor organizer in like, uh, you know, in, in like El Salvador gets murdered by a bunch of fascists. <laughs> yeah. And it's like every uh, development econ is so fucking frustrating because at every single step of the way. There's like there's like a really razor thin line between risk and reward at every step of the way. And yeah. so, like, uh, imperial powers will dangle technology transfers or extended yep. trade agreements on somewhat favorable terms uh, in exchange for allowing them to just, like, go to war with your neighbors, like, uh, or rope you into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or or extract resources that would be valuable for you later in your development phases. Yeah, actually, uh, th- this leads to me, um, you know, go- going to our hypothetical here, thinking about Vancouver Island, the People's Republic of Vancouver Island, uh, and we can kind of talk about some of the development traps because that's kind of what I'm was churning through my head right now. Because I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for Vancouver Island, at that incredibly <laughs> deep level of research, uh, and so what they list under the economy is there's a tech sector, logging, fishing, tourism, and food. Um, and so, you know, we talked first about, like, you could, like, sell off, like, the yachts and the cars and stuff like that. Uh, and that's, I don't even know if that counts as a sector of the economy at that level. That's uh, zero. Yeah, yeah, level you can have sector. a yard sale. <laughs> yeah, you can have a yard way. sale. Uh, but, you know, logging and fishing, those are those are pretty solid primary sector economies. You know, uh, you know to that, describe the terminology, you know, they've got this, this is part of that hierarchy that Steve was talking about, that, you know, the chain of development and a primary sector is like a basic extractive element of your economy, a mine, uh, 
logging, fishing, food production, you know, basic goods. And then, you know, you talk about a secondary development, which is like manufacturing and then a tertiary, which is, you know, services. Uh, those are kind of your basic, those are usually considered like sectors of the economy, but in a way they kind of correspond to development. Um, and they require different amounts of development. And, you know, the thing about primary is that everybody needs those things. Like, unless people just stop using wood for construction, which we are very far from doing, we still use a lot of wood for construction, uh, your logging industry is going to have buyers. Um, until people stop buying, eating fish, your fishing industry is going to have buyers, you know, up to a really ludicrously bottomless reserve. Uh, but you're going to be stopped on that secondary industry until you have capital. Like, I don't mean just like the sense of having a lot of money, but you know, as, as Steve said, the right capital, money, <laughs> the right money. And well, you need capital production, you need capital, you need the machine. Yeah. You need like, you need, you need yeah. your factories. You need your, yeah. Like, you need, yeah so printers. you, uh, and Wealthy countries, uh, partly in, in order to maintain their power, they have they they want to be the only seller of capital goods. Yeah, and and they're going to be very um, withholding about it. Quite um, like a really good example for right now, with like all of the inflation stuff going on, like the chip shortage. Yeah. So oh, yeah, yeah. the machines that make the machines that make the chips, holy shit, those are like those are they only make like fifty of those a year. Yeah. And it's all two companies. Yeah, well, you know, I, I wasn't the, 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 the thing with the thing with the chip shortage, right? Is also like, so if if you can be like the people who do that, that gives you a lot of economic power. Like this is this is one of Taiwan's things, right? Which is that like, you know, it's like okay, so why hasn't Taiwan just sort of been bowled over by by China? And like, I mean, there's a lot of sort of geopolitical reasons for that, but it's also partly it's just that like, yeah, like Taiwan has this enormous chip making industry. And it's incredibly advanced, and you know, and it has like, you know, and this this is, I think, another thing that, that that's a real problem for sort of revolutionary society doing this is that like, yeah, like Taiwan's chip making economy, like it's not like people like fall in like vats of chemicals like mm -hmm. a lot, like there's a lot, there's a lot like just horrible sort of labor exploitation, and, and this comes back to even your sort of like, like you know, if you're talking about your your, your sort of primary primary sector stuff in the economy, which is that like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, like oil is a particular example of this, but like, you know, same with timber and same, same with fish is that like, these are extractive industries. Yeah. And this becomes a real problem for a lot of your sort of like newly revolutionary developing societies, Absolutely. because you, you get this tension between um, like, and you see this a lot in, in Latin America. It's like, this is a, there was a huge tension like this in Bolivia, for example, you see this in Ecuador too, where like you have different factions of, you have different factions of the political movements where you have people who are like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm okay with just like, you know, building these highways through indigenous land or just like yeah. doing mass deforestation or like doing, doing open pit mining. And those people will be like, well, those people will be leftists, right? There'll be people who are like, okay, well, we need to do this because we need to like, you know, this is an anti-poverty measure. We have to move up the value chain. We have to increase our mm -hmm. production. But then, you know, you have the indigenous people who's like homes these are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, and, can, and, you can rationalize a lot of evil shit if you've yeah, got the right yeah. intellectual backing. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and this, this happens like in, in China too. There's like, like a lot mm -hmm. of the industrialization has been absolutely devastating. Like, and, and, and this, this becomes a real, like the, the, the fact that you need Forex becomes a, this like incredible trap that, that mm -hmm. you you sink into because it's like on, on the one hand, like, yeah, like there are resources that you need in order to have a functioning society, but it's also that, that you can't get in, in, in your territory, but also like the cost of getting that Forex is enormous. And, and a mm -hmm. lot of times it's, it, it's, it's, it's a, 
it, it, it it's something that just essentially destroys the revolutionary project. Yeah. What hit me when I looked at this list of uh, Vancouver's uh, economic sectors was, uh, you know, tourism being listed among the big ones. And my mind immediately went to Cuba, uh, to pre-revolutionary, pre-Castro Cuba. Yeah. And, you know, pre-Castro Cuba has all these things going for it off when you when you're looking at it from like a developmental standpoint you know it's got this like very good productive base of you know primary resources like sugar uh it has uh great relations with the united states of america particularly through the mafia uh you know yeah wonderful right uh it has uh you know, the, the tourism industry is is very successful it's producing manufactured cigars so it even has a secondary industry bridge but it is still absolutely failing to develop in a way that is meaningful for the people living in Cuba. You know, pre, pre Castro Cuba was a nightmare for most people. Uh, and that's, you know, that, that's that, that, like Steve said, you know, there's this razor thin thing between uh, risk and reward. And uh, during that, you know, during the 40s and 50s in Cuba, it was just, it just made so much sense to just stick it with this impoverished, extractive, tourist-heavy, mafia-friendly economy. And, yeah, they were friendly with the U.S. They could have gotten technology transfers in in principle, but were they actually going to? Uh, And that's something we have to think about with our our People's Republic of Vancouver Island is, you know, yeah, like, people are going to want our logs. People are going to want our fishing. American tourists are going to come here and go whale watching, and that's going to bring in Forex. But are we going to be able to, like, leverage that? And how would we leverage that? Yeah, yeah. And I kind of want to move the conversation to like, I think people might be listening and saying like, okay, yeah, I can see why Forex would be important. But like, what are the specific ways in which we can acquire it, but also manage it? And it's like, okay, well. Without being were, evil, it, which we want. We, without we, being uh, evil. With, yeah, I mean, with, you can't while be, being socialists who want yeah. democracy. Um, okay. So I think if we're. I'm I'm picturing some sort of assembly structure taking shape because I'm a libsoc, libertarian socialist. Um and uh it could be something else, but in any case, uh I think they should appoint fifty or so people, some of them experts, some of them not, to examine they should do a thorough economic analysis of the entire island. And you should do it on the basis of here are the assets we have. Here's where we want to go in terms of assets. How do we get from here to there? And one of the assets that you have is, okay, we have so many US dollars. We have so many Canadian dollars. We have reserve balances. So we need to import things. We can make some of it ourselves and we need to buy the rest of it. We can't buy all of it now. We need to cash flow some of this. We need to, we need to do export-led growth, as the develop, the classic development econ people would say, where we say, we have some industries where we can gradually and consistently ramp up to the point that they give, they give us the types of money which we need in order to input capital goods, the machines that build machines, to buy them, learn how to use them, and maintain them, and then build more ourselves, ideally. And over the course of, say, basically, I'm basically suggesting that Vancouver Island should have a 10-year plan. <laughs> they should have a 10-year plan for, for their economic development. And it should be as democratically decided upon as possible. 
within the limits of like, okay, there's some experts which will obviously be needed and not everyone can do that. But um, whatever assembly structure you have should be given oversight ultimately. And you should say, um, just be really frank with it. Like we have, these are our biophysical resources now. In 10 years, they should be this. In order to get there each year, these things need to happen. We have to have this much foreign currency. We have to have this many workers involved in this industry. Um, we can change things along the way, but we're constrained by these factors. We're like, we need trade partners. We need uh, to reverse engineer some technology that we've acquired or something in order to to educate ourselves on how to like create chips or something in the future. Um, yeah, there's like there should be like an extremely vigorous discussion of what assets do we have, what do we need, what's our goal, and then thread together a development plan from there, and then use your MMT money to marshal the resources that you currently have and that you need for like the next year, say domestically, while monitoring and augmenting your foreign currency reserves and um, using the tools of monetary policy to safeguard those reserves and economize on them in order to import what you can't yet make so that you can make it in the future. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ plus community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride! You're probably careful with your personal information. But what about the other places that have it? Like the doctor's office that mixed up your files. They have your social security number. The power company that mistakenly cut your service 
has your payment info and last three addresses, and the hotel that lost your reservation has your passport info. Your information is in endless places out of your control. Any one of them could accidentally expose you to hackers and identity theft through lax security, breaches, or simple mistakes. But LifeLock monitors millions of data points every second and alerts you to a wide range of threats. If your identity is stolen, a U.S.-based restoration specialist will fix it, guaranteed, or your money back. With plans covering up to $3 million for stolen funds and expenses. Mistakes happen. Don't let not having protection be one of them. Save up to 40% your first year at lifelock.com news. That's lifelock.com news to save up to 40%. Terms apply. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing high five casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! I won again. I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. I think the the thing that we should learn from the fact that like a lot of these projects haven't worked is well I think it's twofold. One is that you have you, okay there there there's constant sort of like there, there there's traps you have to avoid that have to do with like for example like who actually has access to the forex because this is what this is a way that like mm-hmm. you know and and mm-hmm. also like like cuz it, 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 it it's it's very very easy to like access to sort of like incidentally redevelop ruling classes when you're trying to do planning technology stuff and when you're trying when you're dealing with enormous amounts of foreign currency mm-hmm. and this is a problem and you know and in the second problem has to do with sort of like how 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 do you make sure that your economy essentially doesn't end up as a resource colony mm-hmm. and this has this has other components and, and you know and i think i think this is something that like like the, there is a lot that can be done if you control like a region of territory but there's there's political limits on it and the political limits have to do with you know who actually controls the sort of like vast majority of of resources and technology and the only way to really deal with that is that like you know you can't you can't sort of have like you if 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 you want to actually have sort of long-term stability you can't just have your sort of like your your like libertarian socialist councils in one country like that's it's a, it's a thing that has to like keep moving and keep spreading because otherwise it mm-hmm. it becomes it becomes just increasingly difficult and you come under increasing pressures you know for you know in, in order to do things that you do, that you need to do in order to make sure people don't starve in order to make sure that people have education in order to make sure that people you know are able to sort of live live their lives and also like in order to make sure that you don't just annihilate the like annihilate the entire environment while doing this because that's something that happens a lot when you, in these developmental estates is that like you know you 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 get you 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 get groups who are like come in the power and are like well okay we're like we're going to be an ecological regime and then you know they wind up having to they wind up doing oil extraction and like open pit mining because that's you know that that's the easiest way to 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 get money and i and i think i think like i i i think it's it's valuable that like these are things that if if you're serious about taking power you have to think about but I, I also think it's it, it's important to keep in mind just the the 
the, the the inherent limits that you have if you're just sort of an if if you're if you're a completely isolated like if if you're a completely isolated revolutionary movement in one place that doesn't have people where that you can you know give stuff to and move stuff around between. Oh um, yeah, I mean it, yeah. it's 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 always been kind. Of, I mean that's that's been like a kind of inevitable thing that like you know uh, there are there are communes in my extended family. You know I've got members of my family who live on you know those little farm communes and they're not fully economically independent. Um, and I'm sure that we could find people who would be willing to say, Oh, you know, this is like, this is totally fake. This is not a real commune because they, you know, sell, uh, you know, sell sunflower seeds at the farmer's market and stuff. Uh, and that's kind of the unfortunate, that's kind of like the tough reality that, uh, Unless you manage to create a truly global revolution, as I said, unless until you've got like two thirds of the population under your umbrella, uh, you're going to have foreign relations and you're going to have foreign trade, uh, which is going to uh, it's going to be it's going to be difficult to manage. You know, you're going to have to be both. You're going to have to have like a you know a diplomatic core. That's something we're barely mentioning here, but like we're going to need to have diplomats coming out of this council if we're talking about them having relations with the u.s and canada uh and you know negotiating these trade deals you know these trade deals don't happen out of nowhere um and uh you know we kind of brush this aside but it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a misperception that people tend to have that uh the united states is pro-free trade in like an extreme sense that like any trade with the united states is done without any tariffs Oh yeah, no. I don't think that you, if you believe that, without having done a lot of research, I do not think that that is an absurd thing to believe because that is the propaganda that is passed along in common knowledge. A very quick examination of how trade works between international actors will reveal that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of tariffs active all the time in every trade deal. <laughs> Yeah, and like the like the 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 big one with the U.S. agricultural subsidies, which mm -hmm. are just it is it is it is illegal to have them. We have like just in just like billions and billions and billions of dollars of agricultural subsidies that have oh, yeah, us producing cheap food. That's like yeah. we're not even good at making it. Like it's it's a complete disaster. It I mean this like th this this is just single handedly annihilated the economies of like enormous swaths of the globe because the, because no one can compete with with American agricultural subsidies and it's you yeah. know and, and but like it when when you join the free trade system like that's one of the carve outs that was that's 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 in the WTO is you can't have uh subsidies for for your agricultural programs uh except for the US yeah and it's and, it's great and, and by great and, and, i mean everyone dies well and there's all sorts of like weird technical ways that you can create pseudo subsidies you know mm -hmm. uh you know Italy very famously has a price floor on wine. Uh, and this means that, you know, if you if you make a bottle of wine that nobody would buy for the minimum price, the government will buy it off of you for that price. And so there are, there are wineries in Italy that just produce wine at such a, this is so bad, nobody would buy, nobody, you'd have to pay people to drink it. Uh, but the government just buys it at this minimum set price and then throws it in a, in a giant Olympic swimming pool vat. Mm. Uh, to go rot, uh, and like there are, yeah, there, 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 the trade is, you know, there, there's a lot more complex. The, the free trade is kind of a myth at the international level. Uh, it is at 
it's at the most cynical free trade as a doctrine is a cudgel used by more powerful countries that they impose that you have to do free mm-hmm. trade with them and that they get to do protracted trade with you. Well, it's yeah. a, it's well, firstly, like you mentioned, it's a myth mm-hmm. and historically speaking, we had like, we had infant industries in this country that were highly protected from the very earliest days through most of the 19th century and into the 20th century. And we had uh, we had export-led growth from infant-led for infant industries in the U.S., and that's precisely the opposite advice we now turn around and give via our imperial like apparatus from the IMF and the World Bank to to developing countries. Yeah. Well, and the, the, and uh, like countries countries that that examined what the U.S. was telling them to do and did the opposite are the ones that succeeded. Yes. Like yes. South Korea said, nah, fuck that. And, and they went up the value chain and they did all of the things that we said Vancouver Island should do, basically. Yeah, except, except uh, not being evil. They did not do that. Uh, well, they, yeah. okay, they were evil. <laughs> they were yeah, evil uh, for a time and they were dictatorial. But yeah, the, in yeah. terms of their economic development plan, divorced from political reality, which is probably naive of me to say, mm-hmm. um, they took the opposite advice of the IMF yeah. in terms yeah. of that narrow scope. Well, yeah, and I, I think the the other thing that's kind of important here that we haven't really touched on yet is that like, so part 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 of what was going on with with South Korea's economy is that South Korea's economy was was a war economy, and it was a war economy designed to build. I mean, originally just it was it was a war economy because they were fighting a war, right? But then it became this. I mean, it was a central axis of sort of the the production of the Korean War, and then it became this axis that uh, like it became a huge part of the American sort of arms industry in in Vietnam, and this is the same thing. Japan has this too, where both of these economies are like a huge part of the reason why they're able to develop is because they get enormous amounts of just money and that guaranteed yeah, contracts and stuff true. like that from American military development. And and this is a, this is another really big problem for like your sort of free state that like you've created, like whatever your sort of like council republic, your like autonomous mm-hmm. zone, your like indigenous confederation is that like. You need weapons, and the people who make guns are like the U.S. and Russia, and this is a real you know and and you know we've we've been talking on this show about about producing mm-hmm. like three D printed weapons, but I mean you know in terms of things yeah. like you know you're like artillery right like in yes. terms of your mortars and like things like that or like you know you you can't you can't three D print to best of my knowledge. And I'm like 99.99% sure about this, that like, unless you had extremely advanced facilities and even then it's not clear to me, like, I, I, I like, I, I don't think anyone on earth has ever pre 3d printed like an anti-aircraft rocket. Like you, 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 yeah, like, you know, you I can't mean, make, you can't make stingers. You can't make man pads. You can't make like anti-tank, anti-aircraft weapons. Not and, to, not to get too much into it, but like the way in which Ukraine is fighting like Russian tanks in its very specifics is kind of encouraging actually. Yeah, but like, like things that you, you like the like specific. Yeah, I mean, there's only a few companies who are making the components for these things. Yeah, so like, that's a problem. And that's like that's the, a thing. Like the personnel launched uh, the in law or whatever things. Yeah, like the the, the anti tank and anti aircraft weapons. Like, yeah, if, if you can get them, they're effective and they they do they they do stuff. That's they're mostly just you, handed like, out from by the U.S. or the U.K. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's that's a huge problem if you're you know not trying to like be a political colony of these two things. And, and this this is another trap that you see like you see dictators especially falling into, which is that that they you know okay so like on the one hand yeah you do need weapons right like you you need you need some kind of military complex and you you need arms in order to make sure that like 
you know, you're not like the U.S. doesn't roll tanks across the border. But simultaneously, like there's there's a thing that happens a lot with this is happening particularly with petro states where, you know, okay, so you, the 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 U.S. is like okay, so we need this oil, right? And how how do you, how do you deal with this sort of balance payments deficits? And the answer is we just sell them like a hundred billion tanks, and we just like we just like dump F thirty fives on them, and you you can get into these scenarios where like you get these like. Because I mean, the, the problem with weapons, right? It's like okay, so you need them to survive, but they also they don't produce anything, right? In fact, they're, they're sort of they're sort of net economic negatives because the only thing you could do with a gun is, I mean, I guess you could technically hunt, but like, you know, the, the thing you're doing with the weapon is destroying value. Yeah, like yeah, and, and I mean, and and they require maintenance. Yeah, yeah, you and, know, and, like and, these things are substantial net negatives. Yeah. yeah, and 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 you know, and and countries get sucked into these traps where like. You know, okay, we're we're just going to keep buying American weapons because of security, or like, uh, we 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 want to invade some yeah. other country, or like, or you know, and you see this with, with Soviet weaponry too, like back back when that was a thing, and and today modern Russian weaponry, where it's like, yeah, you can you can get funneled into these traps where like the ruling class of your society just decides that it the thing that it wants to just spend its forex on is weapons, and and you have to be very very, like you have to be, and, you know, and and this is the thing that happens like. Like Evner Hoxha, for example, famously like makes just a bunch of bunkers, right, and like militarizes society, and it's like, well, you know, part of this is just Hoxha being extremely weird, but like, you you have to be very careful when you're a society that is genuinely under threat that you're not sort of like mm. just throwing all of your resources into into stuff like that, where you it, you know it doesn't it doesn't produce anything, but you know, and it, yeah, and also I mean, this is it also is part. a it is a need, like yeah. like uh, whatever the the Vancouver Economic Planning whatever group should like one of one of the objectives would Frank would be military, of course, yeah. Um, you would need to. I don't know if you could get your hands on in laws or man pads or anything like that, but you. Um, I think you would be foolish, frankly, not to distribute and train on weapons and stuff like that. Yeah. And use, I, I use think, some of your Forex for that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, th- I think like, yeah, it's like you have to use some of it for that and it sucks because this is something that like it, this, this sucks you into the arms complex. Right. Yeah. I mean, but like Rojava, like- Rojava is using its oil revenues um, to fund like 50% of its expenditure almost is at least like in 2020 or the last time I checked was uh, to defense forces. Yeah, and like, and yeah, this, this is I <laughs> and mean, a lot this of that. Thing. A lot of that came from dollars, euros, and um, Turkish lira that they yeah, acquired and, through oil. Yeah, and like this, and this is the thing that, like, yeah, this this, this is a problem if you're in the revolutionary society, surrounded by people who just literally want to murder you. <laughs> it's like stuff like this winds up happening, and you wind up like I don't blame them. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like it's, it's, it's hard to real, it's like, reality. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a you know that that that's a good example of like what happens if the revolution doesn't spread, and if you get mm. sort of like if you get isolated and contained by imperial powers who just want to murder you, is that you wind up like you you, you basically you you wind up fighting an endless war against both the proxy forces and the real forces of armies that are significantly larger and more powerful than you, and mm-hmm. yeah, and there's a, you know, a lot of times there's not much you can do about it, but it's like. I think, you know, in, in terms of like, like in, in the school of high principle, like this is why internationalism is important. I mean, yeah. And the, the, of course, obviously the other answer is, you know, selling out on the revolution. And, you know, yeah. we, 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 you know, the, there's the example that people tend to think about of Tsaritsa, 
uh, you know, Syriza gets elected on all these like radical promises for Greece and then just doesn't do any of them. Um, and then you can look at, say, Nepal and, you know, the, the communists won in Nepal and then they establish a government that's functionally, you know, it's a liberal government. Yeah, my my, my 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 favorite Nepal fact is that uh the, the okay so the Nepal has like seventeen different like Maoist factions, but the, the guy it's who was the head yeah. of, of of the of the largest Maoist faction, uh, Chonda. yeah, yeah, the, I I think it's him. Is is he's he's the one who now lives in the mansion of the guy who used to be the Nepalese head of security. I think so, yeah. Think and it's so. like, huh, huh. We've well, this is this this has gone great. We've we've changed the person in the mansion. It's like <laughs> <laughs> you've kind of. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I mean the and, and you know uh, not too surprisingly, uh, you know the second leader a couple about a year ago, Kiran was uh, on the verge of declaring a new people's war against the Maoist faction. Yeah, like, it's... you know a Maoist war against the Maoists. Like, yeah, I mean that's you know you 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 end up it's yeah it's it's, it's tricky to try to like game it out so to speak because you know my. I, I, I maybe I'm just squeamish. I, I am hoping for things to not happen with a river of blood. Yeah. Uh, in in life, I, I hope that uh, I hope that we don't get rivers of blood. Um, oh, plan plan for war so you get you get peace. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you like 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 Chris has said, you know, you can get trapped into like that that escalating security dilemma. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, investing in security doesn't actually necessarily lead to security. We have you know over a century of looking at Latin American countries that. Uh, investments in the military is just investments in the next civil war. Yeah, um, or or you get cooed, and that's yeah, and that's cooed. another yeah. real problem. Like like I mean, it's weird because it's like a double it's a double edged sword because like the 20th century like there's all there's a lot of like socialisty governments that come into power just from military coups, but also mm-hmm. like probably more of those governments like get overthrown by their own coups, and it's yeah. Uh, if there was yeah. if there was one lesson I learned from playing Tropico, it's that. <laughs> If you try to invest more in your, no matter how much you invest in your military, it only will ever get you up to 50-50 odds of surviving a coup. Yeah, this is a, a don't have colonels and don't have generals. Yeah, like, the whole like, problem is then, then then you get captains coups. So yeah, you know, no, Jesus, it's always colonels. Like, yeah, there's always colonels. It's it's because they're like passed up for generalship by the next administration or something. Yeah, yeah although again, again, some, sometimes sometimes you do get like. Sometimes you get like your Pinochet, and sometimes you do get your captain's coups, and it's like, this is a that that guy was that's ambition right there. When the captain coups the government, that's yeah, ambition. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know. Once, I, well, once your captains have hit fuck it mode, it's yeah, like, like almost, things are bad. <laughs> yeah, that's indicative of like bigger, deeper problems. Yeah, well, and I think like the, the Bathists are an interesting example of this because like okay, so like the Bathists were never like good, but like you know the, the Bathists like originally like were kind of a mass movement, but then. Mm-hmm increasingly like over time as as they consolidate power through military sort of revolutions like it, it becomes increasingly just the bathists are powerful because they have control of like various portions of the military and you know and like the the, the end result of this is like instead of having revolutions like you just get you just get like, all political power has nothing to do with whatever's happening in the street you get these giant protests that are like we want to go back to being part of united the the uh uh united Arab republic and it just doesn't matter because the actual political power is just what happens when the army fights itself Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think like there's no easy solution to that other than just like don't have an armed body that's separate from just the masses of people, 
which is difficult to do, but yeah. also like I mean, or just arm yeah. the people somewhat. Yeah, and and you know, it's, it's, uh, it's means of violence should be more ev- evenly distributed. Yeah, um, I will say that, that was, uh, I guess, part of why the the scenario we had started off with like you've declared the People's Republic because the question of how you get that People's Republic feels like that's seventy five percent of your podcast uh, podcast episodes. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, we, we've done we've done we've done just like a miracle has occurred, but like a revolution has occurred, and yeah. then I don't know, they like blockaded well, I mean, the, all the you know, roads it's, it's, or something. Um, like, I, I as I like to say, it's good to have a plan for if you win. Yeah, well, you know, and, and I think it would like, suck to win and then fumble. Once you've already gotten, yeah, like, and th- this this is something that like that actually does happen a lot, which is like you you get into the, you get into these revolutionary like moments, but then there's just sort of like no like no one has any idea what to do next, and so they sort of bungle it, or you know you get into revolutionary out. scenarios, yeah, or, or you get into revolutionary scenarios where like nobody's thought about what yeah. happens next, and that that's that's another way that like yeah these these things collapse all the time, and that's another way you get like. You know, this this is in some sense like the the, the whole of the sort of yep. like the trial and error of the twenty of the, the twentieth century, which most of which just sort of ended in error, is that mm-hmm. you know a bunch of people were experimenting and a lot of the stuff they tried didn't work, and there are so, lots of reasons for that. But you like you have to in order to win, you have to actually be serious about taking power, and you have to be you know you you have to be thinking strategically and and have a like have at least a vision of what you're going to do before you like. You know, like before things happen, because otherwise, there's just sort of like you know, you just you just get sort of mass confusion and yeah, and, yeah. and say what say what you will about the fascists, yeah. they know what they're yeah. going to do when they seize power. They're not confused uh, about it. It's more well, their <laughs> their problems are what you do after. Yeah, yeah, they're, 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 they're not confused about that. Those first like forty eight um, hours when things start going their way. Like, I hope that nothing we've said. I hope that nothing we've said on this podcast kind of makes people think like oh they so they have like one weird trick basically to like secure secure no. your power like yeah. obviously no um and like and the and that we aren't like singularly focused on acquiring forex or something also yeah, no. I, I mean this, uh, it's this just like, like yeah. it's an important lever to to have at your disposal and like well number one you should know that it's important number two you should have yeah. tools in place such as like uh running a Running a fixed exchange, uh, fixed exchange rate or something to make it a bit easier to acquire forex uh, on the whole, or um, doing capital controls, or doing price controls, or something like that. And you should have these tools in mind in order to get from year one to year ten in terms of your biophysical resources. Like, here's what we have, here's what we need, and uh, you know, some of that could be military, some of that could be economic, and some of that could be political. And um, no one, like, I don't have the answers. We don't have the answers. But um, at each step of the way, you need to find groups of people who can come together and think objectively about them. Yeah, I I, I want, uh, yeah, it's not that I think that there is an answer. I'm kind of thinking about almost a little bit parallel to, like, we know that if we create our, you know, if if socialists manage to seize any amount of power, they're going to reform whatever healthcare system they're currently existing in. Uh, we know there's going to be better because it would be hard for it to be worse. Uh, but, you know, that's making a good hospital system is not the entire thing that makes a revolution happen. It is just one of those things that you need to do and you need to think about it. And my... 
objective here, and it's uh, a lot of my objective with you know making this whole magazine project is that my socialism means that we we have say over our lives. You know that's fundamental to me that we have say over what we do with our lives, and I want to make sure that the people who are in this with me, which is hopefully everybody. I am an optimist. I'm hoping that everybody is with me on creating a, a better socialist world, that all of us are at least somewhat informed about the decisions we're making. I, I'm not actually economically trained. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I've learned this stuff as I've gone. Uh, it's not in, insurmountable. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, I, I would want the decision about how do we make a socialist economy, you know, the, the core of socialism, worker control of the means of production, that the people involved, again, hopefully everybody, uh, has, you know, at least has uh, an inkling of what's going on. I don't want people to be confused and baffled by the decisions being made on their behalf. That's, you know, a mm -hmm. fundamental evil of a capitalist system that we don't know what the fuck decisions are being made for us by powerful people. Well, part of the part of the problem comes back to education because, like, people are, um, the bourgeoisie have hogged, they've hoarded the knowledge of how to plan in certain respects. And I think socialists socialists will sometimes look at the body of knowledge in terms of planning an economy and say like, well, because they are the only ones who know how to do that, the knowledge itself is tainted. And like, I don't need to learn this because it's evil, basically. I don't need to learn how to manage a, a currency board or do forex management because that's money and that's evil stuff. Yeah, and I and hope then, I hope what we've described so far says like I don't know if it's evil or not, but it's important and it should be. I think I honestly think you're going to probably probably fail if you don't uh, consider these things at each step of the way. Yeah, and and even in your like, one of the things that that you see a lot with socialist countries is they have basically have like a firewall, right, where they they try to keep a separation between the parts of their economy that like are planned and the parts of their economy that like are about moving forex around and i think like okay like uh, th there are varying degrees of effectiveness of this but like this is like even even if you're like okay like we want to get rid of the economy right like we want to get rid of labor we want to get rid of all the stuff as a concept like you're gonna have to deal like uh, until until you like win right like until until you've like until you've like raised a flag over like New York, Berlin, Shanghai, like and New Delhi at the same time, right? Like you're you're gonna be you're gonna have to be dealing with this stuff. And how how you do that and how quickly you're able to to figure this stuff out and how quickly you're you're able to implement it and how quickly you're able to sort of like seize control of and use the resources that you have in order to advance your political project is you know that 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 that's going to be one of the things that determines whether or not your revolution survives, no matter what it's fighting for. Mm -hmm. Like in addition to all the military stuff, um, military and economic, I think you have to just say, like, you have to get to a point economically and militarily and all the other rest of stuff to where you can just say to international powers, like, I don't need to make some moral claim to you. I've built a better mousetrap. I'm going to let the people decide. And it's like it just shows people living freely together uh, and enjoying a good standard of living 
and they don't need to exploit each other to get it. And like for not everyone, but many people that will be really appealing and you have to have like, uh, well, more than just a diplomatic core, you have to have like an entire, like a full court international push to say like, it's just a better mousetrap. It's like, it's, um, I don't need to focus on moral claims about like, well, it's better because you should just care about people because of like, you should care about people more than capitalism permits because it's just morally right. Um, that may be the case, but also people want to get paid and they want to be treated well and have a decent standard of living at the same time. And we can do it. So here's, so here's how, like you've, you've shown them specific steps you've taken and you've shown them the material standard of living that is shared democratically. And, um, it's not just like a state giving, handing things out to people. It's like, a a, um, true industrial democracy where it's like you, you get plugged in, you make decisions each along the way. And, um, yeah, basically that. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I, th- I think, I think that's a pretty good note to, to end on as a, 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 a thing that we want and things that are going to have to be components of it. And also, I guess thinking about, you know, like rejecting theories about money as incomplete that don't deal with the fact that you don't have all the resources in your country and you in fact need other things to acquire them that you cannot simply create into existence. Yeah. Do you two have anything else you want to say before I guess you move into plugs? I I mean, like, like I said, I mean, I, I, you know, we, we, this may have sounded like a whole bunch of, you know, high minded theoretical egghead crap, but again, I'm, I'm not formally educated on this stuff. Uh, this is stuff that I have learned and participated in uh, as a socialist first and foremost, and it's been driven uh, from the get-go, at least for me, from um, a really fundamental desire for egalit- for egalitarianism and for people having a say in their own lives. And uh, I, I hope that the people uh, who have stuck with us through this, uh, who didn't know these concepts before... Uh, feel a little bit more equipped to participate in a discussion uh, about um, how you would handle these things. And as, as I kind of alluded to, this scales all the way down to, you know, uh, 12 hippies on a farm. Yeah. Uh, you know, this, this, this scales <laughs> yep. all the way up until you've got a total, total global communism for pretty much anything below that. Uh, this, this, these principles scale. And uh, I, I, I hope that people feel um, more able and more willing to uh, engage both. First of all, you know, to, to tell liberals to, you know, shut the fuck up uh, that I should have a say over how I participate in the economy, even when that's things like Forex that seem very abstract and far away. Like yep. I, I am, I'm a person who's affected by this. Therefore I've got a stake. Therefore my opinion matters. Uh, and that you you can get there, you can learn, and you should be allowed to participate in that. And yeah, the, this this is what I'm trying to create is you know that socialists do not feel like they can they'll just get browbeaten out of the room of a discussion because some liberal nerd pushed up their glasses a whole bunch and spun their bow tie and then <laughs> sense of bullshit. Like you, no, you, it is your life and uh, you have a right to have an opinion on it. 
And this is not an insurmountable thing to, it's, it's hard. I want to be clear here. This is hard and I want, but I want you in the discussion. Well said. Yeah. So I guess speaking, speaking of uh, things that people are involved in, uh, I can, I can do transitions like this because I'm a professional. Um, yeah. Do you, do you two want to talk a bit about your magazine? Sure. Like we mentioned at up top, we're, uh, Kyle and I are both co-editors of Strange Matters magazine, and we're in the middle of a fundraiser right now. You can find the fundraiser at the URL, tinyurl.com slash strangematters. No, no dashes or anything. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at strange underscore matters. And the magazine itself is going to be a, we're a literary magazine and each issue we're, we're publishing in both print and digital and the print issue one is about 300 pages and it's split in half between the front pages which is um topics like economics philosophy politics um more technical fields and then the back pages is art um uh like culture reviews um Anthropology is a anthropology like uh, more certain. We we kind of attach it to the word meaning, like meaning <laughs> development, and um, and there's a middle resting spot which is actually called the futon, which is a play on a play on the word fuyaton, which is like kind of a resting spot between those two halves where there's going to be short pieces of usually of humorous nature, and um, overall it's going to cover a wide range of topics. And you can find out more of us. You can find out more about us on our fundraiser on our website, strangematters.coop. We got a couple articles already up on strangematters.coop. Uh, we have a Steve wrote an amazing piece explaining a, some very, uh, in very layman's terms, some arguments about what inflation is and why we should care about it. You know, it's very quite good. Yeah, very relevant right now. Uh, we have a. Truly delightful um, review of of very contemporary, very recently made cyberpunk works uh, by Elizabeth Sandifer, author of Neo Reaction of Basilisk, which anybody who listens to this podcast needs to read Neo Reaction of Basilisk. Uh, and she did us the wonderful favor of doing a pop culture review for us. Uh, we've yeah, we've also got a, a work uh, by the editors, uh, Words for Our Present Reality, about what how how can we discuss what actually exists in the world and what are the shortcomings with our current with just like the basic levels of our discourse and how can we advance beyond beyond this difficulty and it's you know it's something that sounds like it's supposed to be this very high level philosophy but we've been i i think uh I don't want to take too much credit for this because I, I was not the main writer on it uh i think that uh, we've successfully managed to uh bring it down to a to a, a lower brow level uh you know to a to a, a level that uh doesn't require you to have 18 letters after your name of various college degrees <laughs> uh we also managed to publish a piece by a russian dissident and we I'm, I'm very excited for the the works that people are going to see in the future from us we've got a history of black cooperative movements uh we've i, I wrote a nice little ditty about uh, colonialism in modern board games uh I'm I'm very excited for people to get the chance to read these, and uh, you know it's all kind of in the service of us creating a more of us democratizing 
the socialist world and making it making it meaningful, making it useful, and also making it pleasurable for people to be socialists and to fight for uh, a freer and more equitable world. Yeah. Do you two, do you two want people to find you on social media? And if so, where? <laughs> okay. You can say no to this. People do sometimes because cursed <laughs> hell site. Okay. I well, I don't have social media. So. <laughs> Kyle's not really on social media. Uh, I am on some social media, so you can find, uh, you can find me at, at Capim in Wacom. And I'll spell that out. Cause it's kind of confusing. <laughs> At C A P M N W A C C M. Misspelling your own username. Oh boy. Um, yeah, so Strange Matters is our, our campaign will run through this month and it's going pretty good so far, but we can use uh, every little bit of support goes a long way. So yeah. find, find us at our website and also the fundraiser. Yeah, we're, we're not getting paid. Uh, just to be clear, this is the we we need to pay the authors. We need to pay for the printers. But you know, this is not us <laughs> trying to make a quick buck. This is us trying to make sure we we are not willing to accept paying our writers substandard yeah. writing. Yeah, fees. we're going to that pay our bullshit. writers higher than market rate as uh, on principle because we think the market rate is just too low. It really is. <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, um. Oh, and by the way, our we're. I think I mentioned it, but we're a workers cooperative. So we're a hundred percent worker owned in control. There's no, there are no levels of employment or ownership. We're all horizontal. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, go, go check out strange matters. Um, yeah. Thank, thank you to both for, thank you both for joining us. It was a wonderful Thanks. time, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. And, uh, if you want to find more of us, uh, we're at happens here pod on Twitter and Instagram. I keep saying Instagram. I've never actually, I'm not on Instagram. So I, I've been told we have one. I've never interacted with it. Uh, yeah. And uh, cool zone media has our other shows. Go listen to them. Uh, they're good. And we work a lot on them. All right. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won! Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing high five casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! <laughs> I won again! I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. I'm going out with the girls this weekend. Nails, done. Outfit, stunner. And my skin? I know it's going to be glowing because I glammed up my shower routine with new Olay Indulgent Moisture Body Wash. It smells so luxurious and deeply moisturizes with its super rich, creamy lather that's bursting with vitamin B3 complex. So my skin glows and my confidence grows. Try new Olay Indulgent Moisture Body Wash for glowing skin in just 14 days. 
Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like... Whoa. And... Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. 